0: Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today.
1: Today, we are going to talk about the police killing of Patrick Leoya in Grand Rapids. Yet another instance in which an unarmed African American met his or her death because of an encounter with authorities. We're going to hear about what's happening in Grand Rapids and talk with former Detroit Police Chief Ike McKinnon about policing, its drawbacks, and the changes needed for its future. It's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. If you've seen any of the video footage of Patrick Leoya struggling with a Grand Rapids police officer before that officer pulls his gun and shoots Leoya in the back of the head while he's straddling him on the ground, the two words that I think come to anyone's mind, are scared and confused. Patrick Leoya seemed scared and confused when he was pulled over by that police officer on April fourth. It's how he appeared to be feeling when the officer told him that the license plate on his car didn't belong to the car that he was driving. And it's how 26 year old Leoya appeared to be feeling when he started walking away from the officer, scared and confused. Now, it's also how Leoya and the officer both appeared to be feeling when they started to tussle that fear, that shock, that anger. You can just sense that something really awful, is about to happen. And for Patrick Leoya, that probably wasn't an unfamiliar feeling. His was a life that began in the Democratic Republic of Congo, a really troubled place. And that shock and that anger and that fear are probably what Leoya and his family felt when they fled that country as refugees. They came as so many people do to the United States of America, a place that promises way more freedom, respect for life. But coming to America would not free them from the shock, the fear, the anger that they probably knew all too well in the Congo. And Now, now that we've seen this video, now that the city of Grand Rapids is trying to figure out what to do about the killing of Patrick Leoya, I think a lot of us have those same feelings. I'm definitely scared. Scared for myself, scared for my community, scared specifically for the African-American children that I'm raising in this country. State police are investigating the shooting, of course, and the medical examiner says the autopsy report won't be publicly available until state police complete their work. There is a process in place here. There's a whole bunch of things that will happen before we know what the consequences should be or will be for this officer. But we're all experiencing the same thing in the aftermath of this, and we've been here before so many times. All the conversations, all the emotions, they feel new and familiar with this latest police shooting, but they also just We've reached a point where I feel like we can't take anymore. Can't watch another one of these videos. I can't think about the way an unarmed African-American feels in those moments for a police officer who is clearly overreacting, shoots, And kills. That's where we want to begin the program today. Talking not only about the killing of Patrick Leoya in Grand Rapids, but putting this in this really grand context in this country, this narrative that's unfolding about how police relate to, react to, African-Americans in our communities. What are we supposed to do? How do we stop this from happening? Should we be rethinking the very definition of policing in this country? As always, we want to hear from you. What do you make of the recent killing of Patrick Leoya by a police officer? What does it tell you about policing in this country and what do you think we ought to do? How do we turn a corner away from all of this? It's not new. It's been happening forever in this country. But of course now, we have technology that lets us be there, essentially. lets us see it all up close. You know, it's a call to all of us to the work of stopping this, of sending this in a different direction. So, how do we do that? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation that way. Kicking us off today to talk about what is going on in Grand Rapids is Bryce Huffman. He is a reporter and producer for Bridge Detroit, which is a publication where I serve as the executive editor. Bryce, welcome to Detroit Today.
0: Thanks for having me on, Stephen.
1: So let's start uh, with your reaction when you first heard about the shooting of Patrick Leola. And I want to give our listeners, just a little context. Uh, Bryce, you have been uh, a reporter for some time now, a reporter and a producer. And immediately before you came to work with us at Bridge Detroit, uh, you were in Grand Rapids, living in Grand Rapids and reporting on yes. that community. So for you, yeah. this is more familiar, perhaps, than it is for most of uh, of the rest of us. So tell, tell me what your reaction was when you heard about this?
0: Yeah. So I first heard about this, uh, not through the news, but through uh, friends on Facebook two weeks ago. Um, the shooting happened two weeks ago today. in um, Patrick Lioia was actually shot and killed in a neighborhood that was only about eight or nine minutes from where I lived in Grand Rapids. So uh, you know, I saw it on a friend's Facebook feed that the Grand Rapids police had shot and killed an unarmed black man. And I'll be honest, my first response was, I shouldn't be surprised by this, but I still am. You know, for for years when I was in Grand Rapids, uh, people were saying to the police and to city officials that this sort of thing would happen uh, based on how their police department responded to young black people and particularly young black men. Um, so I was, I was heartbroken and saddened to find out about the death. But I also was met with this weird f- feeling of, you know, this was something that a lot of us thought was inevitable. Yeah.
1: So uh, let's back up just a, a little bit here, too, and talk about the city of Grand Rapids uh, and what kind of place it is demographically. And how uh, the different ethnic groups that make up the population there interact with each other. I think for people in Detroit, it's sometimes hard to understand um, what cities, other cities in Michigan are like with regard to to race and racism. Um, you know, uh, we, we live in the largest, uh, in the city with the largest percentage of African Americans uh, in the country. The largest the, the biggest city with uh, the largest black population, uh, Grand Rapids, Muskegon, Lansing, uh, Kalamazoo. These are different places that have sizable African-American populations, but things look and feel really different in those places.
0: Yeah. So unlike in Detroit, uh, you know, Grand Rapids, the black community is Definitely in the minority. Uh, When I think when I first got there, it was about 14%. I believe it's still under 20% African-American. And uh, I think a lot of us in Detroit take for granted just being able to go anywhere and see people who look like us uh, and think like us and speak like us. And that's something that uh, a lot of Detroiters are just now in the last few years starting to grapple with. Um, with some of the more gentrified areas of the city, but in Grand Rapids, you know if you're black and you're not on the southeast side, if you're not in the 49507 zip code, you know chances are uh, you are not in the majority wherever you're at. Um, so it's it's a mostly Dutch, very Christian uh, city um, with lots and lots of churches similar to Detroit. Uh, There's also a sizable uh, Latin immigrant community there, uh, and particularly uh, just southwest of the city in Wyoming and in areas like Walker. But uh, yeah, the black community there, uh, these are people who a lot of them have ties to Detroit. A lot of them have ties to Chicago. So, you know, it's not so unfamiliar to Detroiters that we wouldn't be able to find anyone like us. But I think people do need to keep in mind uh, that it is a different city with different um, social. Uh, it's just it's just different.
1: Yeah, there are really different social dynamics at work in that in that city than there are here. Um, so so I want to talk specifically about policing in Grand Rapids and political power because I think. You can't talk about one without the other. Uh, the, the, the the struggle over policing has a lot to do with uh, who sits on the city council, who is the mayor or the city manager. Um, uh, tell us what that context looks like and has looked like in Grand Rapids.
0: Yeah, so uh, in Grand Rapids, their city officials, uh, the city commission uh, serve similarly to how Detroit City Council functions. Uh, I think the big difference is in Detroit, we're a very strong mayor city. You know, Mayor Duggan has lots of administrative power. You know, his office um, has a lot of the decision-making power as far as how the city government will run in Grand Rapids. The city manager um, almost has more power in that regard than the mayor um, the mayor is in a lot of ways, the highest ranking city commissioner, mm-hmm. um, as where the city manager is, you know, just like you saw with the press conference last week, the city manager is the one who will often speak on behalf of the city, um, when, when things happen, uh, good or bad, um, but partic- particularly when, when things bad happen there, uh, city manager, Mark Washington will kind of, you know, take that role on. So uh, that's probably like the big difference that you'll see uh, between Detroit and Grand Rapids as far as how government functions uh, and how that relates to the police department. Um, I think something that I kind of took for granted while I was there. the police department isn't as big as it is in Detroit. Um, they have their headquarters downtown uh, on Division and Fulton in Grand Rapids. And you know, that is the police station. There's not, Um, you know, eight outside precincts, you know, in neighborhoods, you know, if you want to go talk to the police, that's the place you go to do it, Um, which, you know, has benefits and setbacks. I think one of them being there are police who, you know, every all day, every day, they're in the black neighborhoods and they're just walking footbeats, getting to know people. Um, They're all coming from downtown to go to that area. Uh, So I think, That alone sets up a different dynamic between the police um, and the people who are living in the communities that are being policed by them.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm talking with uh, Bryce Huffman. Uh, He's a reporter and producer for... Bridge Detroit. We're talking about the police killing of Patrick Leoya on April 4th in Grand Rapids. Uh, He was an unarmed African-American man uh, who uh, police pulled over for having the wrong plate on his car. Uh, He appeared pretty confused in the encounter, struggled with the police officer after he tried to run away. And once the police officer Gained control, gained physical control of him on the ground with him face down. Uh, the police officer drew his gun and shot Leoya in the back of the head. Uh, we want to hear from you about what you're feeling about the killing of Patrick Leoya in Grand Rapids and what you're feeling about this context of black murders of um, by by police officers, uh, this this not trend i guess because it's something that's been with us for such a long time in this country but certainly the trend of us being witness to these things in a different way because of the technology that is uh, available Uh, you can actually watch this police officer kill patrick lioya uh, all over the internet because of uh, the body cam that the police officer was wearing and other cameras which which captured it. Uh, give us a call, let us know what you think of this, what you think we ought to be doing to stop these kinds of murders, uh, and whether you think policing itself uh, may need some radical change or radical rethinking uh, in order for that to happen. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. 313-577-1019. We can also go to the WDET Facebook page uh, or to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Um, Bryce, before we get to our listeners, and we've, of course, got a lot of folks already queued up to talk about this, uh, let's talk about this this um, this particular incident. Um, uh, to the best of your knowledge, what what was the reason that this police officer even gave chase to Patrick Leoya and tackled him to the ground um, for driving a car without the correct plate on it? I mean, I think that really is one of those kind of critical questions about policing and their tactics. Is this the kind of thing that Grand Rapids officers are doing frequently? Um, is this part of I guess the culture there that, uh, and there are some cities where this is true, you know, if, uh, if the police pull you over and you're you not cooperative, they, they, they get on you, they get after you in a, in a physical way. Is that what goes on, I guess, uh, in this city?
0: So I guess I want to back up and just give just a brief context for people uh, who were very, very unfamiliar with Grand Rapids and the police department there. Uh, when I first got there, it was 2017 and this was in the wake of two really important uh, maybe moments or events for the department. Uh, the first is back in March, 2017, five unarmed black boys were coming out of a community center and got held up at gunpoint by police officers. And that was, um, you know, cause it happened right before I moved there. That was like my introduction to the Grand Rapids police department. Uh-huh. And while none of the boys were physically harmed, by the altercation, that kind of shows you uh, there is a very toxic relationship between police and young black people. Uh, The next thing that happened was a traffic study came out that showed black drivers are twice as likely to get pulled over as white drivers. So I'm coming to Grand Rapids, a young reporter knowing, okay, this police department has, there is racial tension going on here. I also realized that, uh, the police department was actually working to address these things. So while there is this part of me who's like, okay, this police department could really be troublesome for me, you know, a young black guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I also knew, you know, the fact that they're at least addressing it means this is a problem. People have pointed out to them time and time again, this is not something that's new. It's not something that is unknown. Uh, If you go to any city, the black population will tell you very open and honestly what their police are like, you know, what that relationship, what that dynamic is like. Uh, And it's the same for Grand Rapids. So when I get there, I knew, okay, whatever is happening in this department, culture-wise, unarmed black people are still getting the shaft, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's something that uh, going there as a reporter, it gives you kind of, you know, lots of story ideas and opportunities and that's great. But it's also, as a young Black man, it, it scares the crap out of you, you know? It scares the crap out of you and, and all of the people who you know and all of the people who you care about there. So when I look at the video of Patrick being pulled over, the first thing I realize is the cop sees a young Black guy. He doesn't see a Congolese immigrant who doesn't speak English well. He doesn't see... Um, a man who, you know, avoid, evaded, you know, civil war in the Congo to come here and be safe. He just sees a young black guy. So the the stop really was about, uh, I believe it was like his license plate or his tags. There was an issue there. But I think the point in the video where I think, you know, my antennas went up is when Patrick gets out of the car immediately, um, the cop should have been like, okay, this guy might not be from here because that's not how we do things here. And actually, when I was speaking with one of Leoya's former coworkers, that's something that he pointed out. He said, yeah, in the Congo, you know, it's a sign of respect. If you're running away from the police, it shows you fear them. You respect their power. You respect their authority. Uh, in the United States, obviously, that sounds very, very wild to us. But I think that that just goes to show um, if you're a Grand Rapids police officer, you can't make assumptions about why someone's running away or why someone might be getting out of their car. These are things that I think police officers, particularly in places that have big immigrant populations, need to be increasingly aware of. Not everyone's going to respond to a gun and a badge the same way. Some people are going to be scared and and freeze up. Some people are going to be scared and try to run away. But if no one's posing a life-threatening situation to you or others, you know, I don't think it's worth... Shooting a man in the back of the head. Yeah. That's just me.
1: Yeah. Okay. When we come back, we are going to continue this conversation uh, with Bryce Huffman of Bridge Detroit about what is going on in Grand Rapids around the killing of Patrick Leoya. And we're going to get to your social media and uh, phone call comments. 313 577 1019 is the number on the phones. Daniel Terry and Mary in Detroit Uh, Lisa in the Detroit area you'll be up first on the phones Uh, if you want to join them again 313-577-1019 is the number we'll be right back with more Detroit today
0: Bringing you news that matters.
1: Stories that impact your life.
0: Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET.
2: Detroit's NPR station.
1: Listening to Detroit Today on 1019. WDET. I'm Steven Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking right now with Bryce Huffman, a reporter and producer for Bridge Detroit, who has been covering the aftermath of the police killing of Patrick Leoya, an unarmed African American man uh, in Grand Rapids. Uh, we want to hear from you about what you think of this killing and what you think we ought to be doing about policing uh, in this country how you're reacting to uh, yet another videotaped instance of police really overreacting uh, and taking the life of an African-American in a non-life-threatening situation. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET f- Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today. And uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start today with Daniel in Detroit. Daniel, welcome to the show.
3: Well, thanks for having me on the show again, you know, these uh, situations have been um, pressing on my mind every time they happen. And um you know, this does look like murder. This is looks like it's unjustified. But in the end, there's one detail that you left out in your description of what happened. The officer can be heard. Stating, uh, put down the taser or something. The, um, the 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 gentleman that was killed had control of his taser and was possibly going to use it against the officer. Which I believe this if that's the case, and that's bound to happen. This officer will be getting off just like the rest of the officers in self defense. Now this this is not justified. This is a terrible thing that has happened, but the reason why it started was resisting arrest. Would George Floyd be alive today if he wasn't resisting arrest? Why aren't we doing some kind of a national billboard campaign, something to talk to people about resisting arrest? Now, none of these, 98% of these deaths that have happened in the hands of police on on black men start with resisting arrest but nobody is talking about it and I'm not downplaying the policing there's a problem with policing of black people the police have had the knee on the neck of of the black citizens since they got to this country it's unfair it's not justified but I think that people are dying because we're not talking about this Mm. we need a national campaign Resisting arrest could get you killed.
1: So, Daniel, I I, I absolutely hear you. And, uh, you know, you're you're nosing up, I think, to the conversations that African-American parents have had with their kids f- forever uh, about encounters with authorities. Uh, and, you know, as an African-American parent, I'll, I'll tell you point blank, I've said to my children that you absolutely can't ever resist in any way uh, if you have an encounter with the police because the risk is the 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 uh, the unmanaged risk is that you will end up uh, you know the victim of of some sort of violence and and maybe, you might be killed and and I don't think there's anything I mean I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to amplify that right uh, to try to say to more people hey this is what could happen and this is why you can't uh this is why you can't do that at the same time I think we are also getting closer to a space where um African Americans are thinking about how to avoid the police altogether, how to withdraw from the spaces in which we react and interact with the police. Um, Because despite the advice, despite the cautioning, despite the decades, if not centuries, of educating young black people about how to behave, when they encounter the police, we still end up in these, in these, uh, in these situations. Um, Bryce Hoffman, I wonder if you can tell us what the reaction from the African American community in Grand Rapids is and whether it reflects some of what Daniel's saying uh, and this idea of how you respond when you encounter a police officer.
0: Yeah. So I think, and thank you, Daniel, for your comment and and for being very thoughtful in your response. Um, I think that there are people in the community, uh, particularly the immigrant community, who uh, are kind of wishing there was more of that sort of education on the police here. Um, you know, like Stephen said, a lot of us who are black grew up knowing not, not to mess with the police, not to resist arrest, you know, basically to say, yes, sir, no, sir if you're ever encountered by a police officer. And that's something that unfortunately, a lot of people who are new to this country never had. Um, that's, that's part of the civics education that you don't really get in a refugee camp. Um, and, and quite frankly, like how, how could they? How could they know? You know they're not from here. Um, but for people who are from here, um, many in the black community in Grand Rapids are feeling emotionally and physically exhausted. Uh, They're feeling overwhelmed. They're scared, you know, for their children. They're scared for themselves. Um, I don't want to put this person's name out there because this conversation wasn't on record. But I was hanging out with a friend of mine the other night in Grand Rapids uh, who has a son. And I was just asking her, you know, like, does this does this stuff scare you? And she says, you know, all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, one day he's going to be old enough to drive a car. And if an officer just happens to see him in a certain light, you know, that could be a bad situation right there. So uh, a lot of people in Grand Rapids, you know, much like in other cities that have had this happen, they're tired of it. They're uh they're, They want the department to be held accountable. They want the officer himself to be held accountable. They want the city and all of its leaders who ignored their pleas to do something about the police to be held accountable. So it's, um, there's a lot of anger and frustration and also just heartbreak.
1: Mm, yeah. Um, again, Daniel, thanks so much for calling and and sharing that perspective. I really do uh, appreciate it. Let's go next to Terry in Detroit. Terry, what's on your
3: mind?
4: Well, Stephen, I wanted to ask Bryce to comment about, um, about how the police go about policing in grand rapids and i want to set it up with a little context my brother works in northern macomb county he works second shift at a precision metal working place and and we all know it's not uncommon for people to work second shift in metro detroit in these automotive and metal working places um he got off work at one in the morning pulled out of the parking lot and was right away pulled over by a, Macomb, a Northern Macomb County, uh, police officer who said, you don't have insurance. And of course, my brother has insurance. And that's when he and I both became educated on the fact that one, a police officer, if they can spot your license plate, they can run it. You don't need to be doing anything illegal. And the chief in that community said that's how his police do it. They, if they see your plate, they just randomly run plates of everyone they encounter. So basically, Anyone they encounter that they feel like treating like a criminal, they will, right? They're, they're just going to assume you're a criminal. We're going to run your plate and see if there's a problem. The other thing we found out is that there is some sort of administrative system that ins- insurance companies in Michigan report to some sort of state system run by the Secretary of State on whether you have uh, auto insurance. My brother had auto insurance. It appears the 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 error was that the administrative reporting mechanism that that us normal people don't have any control over uh, was not in sync. Hmm. And so um, this encounter could have been really awful. You know, one in the morning, um, it, it could have been awful. and And that's when i'm I'm just mystified that so many communities think it's okay to let their officers treat every encounter with anyone. As a potential criminal situation, I'm going to run your plate and see what's going on with you.
1: Yeah,
4: and I'm wondering if Grand Rapids does that.
1: It's a great question, Terry, and and it, I I like that what you're raising is this question of policy and practice that leads to these kinds of encounters where someone overreacts. Um, uh, Bryce Huffman, uh, go ahead and, and answer.
0: Yeah, so I'm actually not sure if they run plates for everyone they encounter. Um, I know from the video they did run Patrick's plates, but uh, th- whether or not they run everyone's plates, I'm I'm actually not entirely sure. But I do, uh, I do think that that style of policing uh, it leads to an overcriminalization of really any group of people, but in in this country. Um, That group tends to be black people and particularly young black men. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if Grand Rapids is policing in that particular way, um, that would show why the city has had so many incidents of unarmed black and brown people being mistreated by police. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right, coming up, we're going to continue this conversation with Bryce Huffman, uh, reporter and producer for Bridge Detroit, and we're going to add a really important voice to the conversation as well, Ike McKinnon, former chief of the Detroit Police Department, uh, also was an officer in Detroit during the 1967 uprising and experienced some really overt racism from fellow officers during that time and at other points in his career. He's going to join us to talk about policing and what this killing in Grand Rapids tells us about the need for change. We'll also continue to hear from you on social media and on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. You can go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Right today on 1019 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the police killing of Patrick Loya in Grand Rapids uh, today and talking about how it fits into the context of this tension. This friction, this danger that accompanies the relationship between authorities, police, and African-Americans. We want to hear from you as well on the phones and on social media. You can call us at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media, to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. We've got Bryce Huffman, who is a reporter and producer For Bridge Detroit with us, Uh, he has been in Grand Rapids covering what's happening there in the aftermath of this killing. He, uh, for a time, was a reporter stationed uh, in Grand Rapids as well, so knows the community, knows the relationship between the community And the police department i want to welcome another voice to the conversation as well now Uh, ike mckinnon is the former chief of the detroit police department also was an officer in detroit during the 1967 uprising and experienced some pretty overt racism uh during his career ike welcome back to detroit today
2: thank you and good morning Stephen. yeah
1: so uh i want to start here with you uh ike as a former law enforcement leader as an officer an African-American man who's faced racism and brutality from your fellow officers. I I wonder what your reaction was to the news and the details of what we're seeing in Grand Rapids.
2: Well, Stephen, unfortunately, it's uh, kind of like the the same old story over and over again that I've seen, heard, and witnessed almost uh, throughout my long career. I mean, I started in 1965. As you know, and a lot of people know, I I was severely beaten up when I was 14 years old by Detroit police and shot at by fellow officers during the uh, the riot-slash-rebellion in 1967, and throughout my long career, um, I mean, I, I tell people... You just can't imagine every day going through something like this and experiencing the name calling and stopping officers from brutalizing people and or saying things to people that you just can't imagine and hoping that that would stop. Now, I'm going to assume that uh, across the country, things have gotten better. But the reality is that when you see uh, what occurred uh, in uh, Grand Rapids and throughout the country, uh, have things changed? Well, to a certain extent, because we have more minorities on on police department, but the reality is that uh, uh, the mindset hasn 't changed, which to me is the most important aspect of this. Uh, who are we recruiting to, to be law enforcement officers or those as the law enforcement officer' code of conduct says is to say, serve and protect the, the, the community uh, communities, and that 's not necessarily the case.
1: Mm. And so one of the things I want to have you address, Ike, is this idea of lethal force. We yeah. give police officers the right to use lethal force, but, but we give it to them as part of their duty to protect. And I think if you're looking at this video from Grand Rapids, the, 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 the instant question really is, was this officer – protecting anybody by shooting Patrick Leoya? And if he was, who was that? Who who was in danger at that point?
2: Well, let's take this step by step. You have the, a law enforcement officer has the right to uh, use his or her weapon if he feels that his life is in jeopardy, his partner's life is in jeopardy, or someone else's life is in jeopardy. And so we, we go through this, this situation where the officer stopped uh, Patrick and uh, Patrick steps out of the car and he yells at him to get back in the car. Well, something happened, and that, we think about this: was his life in jeopardy at that point? No, obviously he didn't think so because he let him open the door to his car where there was someone else in the vehicle, and potentially, and I, I know from personal experience that we've seen and stopped people who have weapons in their car in the open view on the seat. Secondly. As he gets into the confrontation, which he initiates uh, with Patrick, that uh, that that's escalated to a, a totally different level. And as Patrick starts to run, uh, he's doing what he does, and that is chase him. And eventually, he takes him down to the ground. And what? But the, the the worst part about this, obviously, is that as he gets him down, he's got his left arm on him, around him, and he reaches back. Um, I thought he was initially reaching back for his handcuffs, which you can clearly see or, uh, behind him. But no, he pulls his gun out, and he takes his gun and shoots him in the head. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard from people say, well, maybe the the, 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 the uh, uh, his finger slipped or something like that. We don't know. We don't know what the mindset of this officer was, but which goes back to the kind of people we recruit into law enforcement and what is their intent? Uh, do they want to serve and protect or do they want to chastise or do they want to show the power that they have to take someone's life? Mm,
1: yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Greg in Shelby Township. Greg, welcome to the show. Uh,
2: thank you. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? <coughs> uh, there was a case recently at a Wendy's where a guy fell asleep at the drive-thru. He was drunk. And, uh, you know, he came out, they, they, he gave him their license, and, uh, and he decided in his lapse of judgment to run. So the police had his license and his car, and he ran, and they shot him, in the, from my understanding, in the back. Uh, if a guy's going to run and you have his car and license, why don't you just let him run? He's yeah. not going anywhere. You know where he lives. You have his car. He's coming back to get it. I mean, there's there's no reason to put your hands on him at all. Just let him go.
1: Yeah, I, Greg, that is a a wonderful way to to kind of phrase the the, the question, I think. And and uh, Ike McKinnon. It does seem as though there is a, a blurred line, I guess, between the idea that police are there to enforce compliance, right? I told you to do this and you didn't do it, so now I'm reacting in a physical way to you. Um and their duty to protect and serve. I I I think that there's a lot of confusion. Among police officers about that 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 it seems that a lot of officers and in this patrick leoya video that that's certainly the dynamic is I told you to do something you didn't do it, and so now we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna struggle physically because of it
2: which which goes exactly to what i'm saying in terms of the kind of people that we recruit into law enforcement, what is their mindset? What is their mentality? Has there been a psychological evaluation, not only when you come on the job, but a yearly or maybe uh, twice a year evaluation to see who this officer, what he's been doing uh, is his uh, his or her supervisors checking the, the, the number and kind of people that he or she is stopping. For instance, Uh, I saw when I was on the police department, uh, we had officers who all they stopped were young black men. I said, wait a minute, there's something else that's wrong here. And I had to tell my supervisors that. You have to look at the the activity log sheets to see who this officer is stopping, why he's stopping certain people. And let's go back to what uh, Greg is saying in terms of, that was the case, I think, in Georgia. Uh, Yes, the, the man took off running. You're right, Greg. He had the the man's driver's license. I mean, is this a a, a capital crime that someone should uh, uh, take someone's life for? Those are the kinds of things that we look at in terms of why take someone's life. Is it worth it to take someone's life because, as you said, that Wendy's, he fell asleep and he took off running. Or in this case here with Patrick, I mean, uh, so there was a uh, license plate that didn't belong on this car. And as as you said, Stephen, I mean, the officers have the authority to stop people and, and say this or that. But like with myself, when the officers stopped me as a young officer, in uniform, office, two officers shot at me. So it, there there is this great discrepancy in terms of who people, who police officers have traditionally and continue to stop on a regular basis, and who are are are, are taking their lives.
1: Yeah. Uh Bryce, I wonder if you can talk a little about training in Grand Rapids and police and, and whether that's one of the subjects that people are have been talking about for a while, uh, and whether that has heated up since this happened.
0: Yeah, so I think a lot of people in Grand Rapids just want their police department uh to to really rethink how they police the community. And part of that does come down to who they hire, uh, how they hire, how they go about finding officers that they want, um, and then how they train their officers and and what kind of conversations they're having, not just with the officers, but with the community as well. So uh, like I mentioned, it's not like Grand Rapids hadn't been doing anything to change. And one of the things that they started doing was hosting these community um conversations once a month. And at them, you know, people in the community would just get to talk about the police, uh, the police and say uh, you know, what they felt about how their community was getting policed. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that um, you know, if your officers are not receptive to that kind of thing, if they're not receptive to that kind of feedback uh, or even that sort of input, because it's not necessarily always negative criticism. But if they're not willing to listen to what the community that they police says about them, that is a sign that you have a big problem with your department. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Lisa in the Detroit area. Lisa, welcome to the show.
5: Yes. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to speak. I just wanted to say that um, I was not surprised of the outcome in terms of what happened in Grand Rapids. And across the United States, there is a lot of issues that are going on with uh, people of color, in particular, black people, in particular, black males. And the issues are, are just being ignored. The struggle of black men in America is being ignored. And one of the problems that I see as a Detroit resident, here recently in the last year, I have called 911 to deal with issues pertaining to black males. And in the whole process of of talking to the operator over the phone, Mm. I recognized that calling the police was not the solution. Mm. And the greatest fear that I had is that ultimately would would harm be brought upon myself or would harm be brought upon the black male with whom is causing havoc in, 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 in the community? And the reality, at the end of the day, they're being ignored. And they're allowed to just do whatever they want. And then one day they meet a police officer. Here it is, me as a citizen of the city of Detroit. I'm confronted with black males squatting. I'm confronted with black males selling drugs. I'm confronted with black males sitting in front of your house, um, entertaining themselves, having tailgate parties. And we need help. And that help is not being given to them. They're just ignored. Hmm. And so here it is. I always say to myself, one day, this black male who's causing havoc in my community, he's going to meet the wrong cop, and they're going to have a powwow. And, yeah. and in most cases, I hate to admit it, but if you go back and even the question that I asked with, with Patrick, the mm. question that I asked, has anyone looked looked at and seen over the last two or three years, has there been any other altercations that he has had with the police? That issue is never discussed, but at the end of the day, I recognize, and I am pleading to the Detroit police, in these inner-city neighborhoods, we think the solution of dealing with the ills of black males is to ignore them while we gentrify the city of Detroit. Mm -hmm. And also what we do, we're going to use marijuana as the pacifier. I can't deal with him. So what I'm going to do is that I'm going to allow him to sit at home, not work, Drink a forty and smoke marijuana every day instead of figuring out of the solution. How do we move individuals who are somewhat somehow went astray? How do we move them yeah. to productive members of society? Lisa, and, I, I, and I'm afraid, Lisa, in the, in I really appreciate.
1: Of- I don't, I don't want to cut you off, but but we're gonna run out of time, and I, I I love what you're saying, but I want to give Ike McKinnon a chance to answer this. I said earlier that I, I think one of the things that's coming next is this idea of black people distancing themselves from law enforcement, stopping the engagement uh, with, with police to the extent that they can. I think Lisa's uh, coming right up to that
2: line as well. Steven, I think that's absolutely true because there is a lack of trust and there is this uh, on the police side, us versus them. and. I've heard on both sides of this. Uh, people say, well, I, I, in the training aspect of it, uh, and I've been involved and heard officers say, well, listen, I'm tired of listening to this civil rights BS. And, and and their thing is there's something wrong with society. As the society says, there's something wrong with police officers, which goes back to let's have mental health workers, let's have uh, people who are truly involved and want to make a difference within their respective society. Police officers, there's 700, I think 750,000 law enforcement officers in this country. There's 330 million people who the, the, the law enforcement uh, society has to make changes to say we are going to try and do everything that we can to be professional. The law enforcement code of ethics as a law enforcement officer, my fundamental duty is to serve the community. To safeguard lives and property, protect the innocent against deception, the weak against oppression or intimidation, and respect the constitutional rights of all to liberty, equality, and justice. If every law enforcement officer who was recruited and lived by that doing his or her tour of duty, we would not have the problems that we have right now. Hmm. And and going back to what Bryce said again about the, the kind of people we recruit into law enforcement.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, Ike McKinnon and Bryce Huffman. Great to have you both here to talk about uh, this tragic killing in Grand Rapids. Thanks so much for joining.
2: Thank you so much.
1: It's going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow when we're going to talk about the state of solar energy in Michigan for Earth Week. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.